The war against Midian, a clear-cut victory, a complex message, Shira number 189, by Rav Khan. I'd like to begin with an introduction um, about the innate Yun B'Tanach, that to a certain extent one has to appreciate the innate Yun B'Tanach uh, from a historical perspective. After 2,000 years of Galus, Am Yisrael returned to Eretz Yisrael, and uh, part of that uh, the, the, the impact of that event upon Jewish life, upon relationship to, to Tanakh, to the Bible, uh, was, uh, was very, very profound. All of a sudden, people start, started speaking Hebrew. That was a spoken language, dealing with issues of nationalism, of, uh, of sovereignty in Eretz Israel. And a lot of Tanakh, which during 2,000 years of Gullus might have been used for more local purposes to give certain uh, a Musar idea here or there, by the Mepharshim, all of a sudden, became alive issues in uh, Mulachim, Shoftim, are parallel to issues that we face today. How to deal, how we create a national entity. Chok uh, I can't translate that, I don't know how to. But Chok is an example of trying to deal with creating a nation in Eretz Israel, a nation which on the one hand is democratic, but on the other hand also is uniquely Jewish and uh, rooted in uh, Jewish tradition, to a certain extent in Jewish religion, in Sinai. Uh, the result of uh, coming back to Eretz Israel and the new relationship to Tanakh as something which was alive, a language which was alive, was uh, there, there were two different ways of taking that. One way was a way that uh, people that were not, did not see Tanakh as being divine, but saw as being a very, very deep part of Jewish heritage, they related to Tanakh, but not necessarily as something which was divine, but something which we could learn a lot about Jewish heritage from. What's unique about the Meyim Tanakh is that it's part of that revolution, it's part of that historic moment of coming back to Eretz Yisrael and becoming a nation that lives, breathes in Eretz Yisrael, in Ivrit, in Hebrew, in the language of the Tanakh. But it's going back to the roots of what Tanakh is. In other words, going back to Tanakh as something which is divine, rooted in Sinai, rooted in Nevi'im, who are Nevi'i Hashem, prophets of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And uh, therefore, the Meim Tanakh, thousands of people coming here, simply to, to learn Tanakh from a perspective which is not necessarily filtered through the Mepharshim, but looking at Tanakh as something which is alive today is something which is very, very unique. But the question is exactly how do you do that? Because if you want to look at Tanakh and look for you know, the treasures that are somehow embedded within the Pesukim of the Tanakh as something which is divine and not something which is uh, superficial, where do you dig? Where, where do you, you know, you look at the terrain of the Tanakh, at the landscape. You know, there are a lot of things that you could look at at face value. And sometimes you're looking for something deeper and you want to dig. So where do you dig? You take a look around. And uh, if you're looking for a treasure, what do you look for? Something odd in the landscape. Some places where, you know, maybe the grass over here is a little bit thinner than someplace else. Something was, was dug over here. Uh, maybe if you're in a house, you know, where the tiles are a little bit uh, off. Those are the places that you're going to look for, that you're going to start digging. And those places where you notice something that doesn't really fit in with the rest of the landscape. Uh, our focus is on Mechemet Midian, the war with Midian, uh, that's uh, recorded in uh, Parshat Matot. So we're learning Parshat HaShavua as well. And uh, what I want to first point out is that uh, I think that Melchemet Bidyan is something really very odd. There's, uh, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the landscape of the Torah. And uh, therefore, it uh, demands us to ask, what exactly is it doing there? It demands us to maybe take out our shovels and dig a little bit deeper. Um, first, I'll point out that uh, you know, when you compare Melchemet Bidyan with the other wars that I mentioned in the Torah, uh, one thing immediately hits you. And that's the volume of Pesukim. You know, Mechemet Midian does not seem to be the most important war that you have in, uh, in the Torah. Uh, Mechemet Amalek, I would imagine you would assume to be 
more important. Um, there's a melchama with Melech Arad. There's a war with Sichon, a war with Og. Uh, just, I, I just before this morning, I just took a look at how many psukim you have. Mechemet Amalek, nine psukim. The Mechama with Melech Arad, three. Sichon, ten. Og, three. Midyan, 54 psukim. Okay? Um, that certainly tells you that there's something that's being said over here that one has to pay attention to. Um, moreover, if you take a look at the war itself, the war itself takes two psukim. But if you take a look at all that's around the war, um, there are two introductions to the war, one already in Parshat Pinchas, Tzrora Tamidin and Vikitamotam, and then another one in Parshat Matot, Nekom Dekmap There are two different introductions, separated by an entire Parsha. Uh, the preparation for the war is also very much uh, exaggerated, uh, but not as much as the aftermath. The aftermath, uh, which includes um, Moshe Rabbeinu being angry at the soldiers coming back or at the, or at the officers, um, then, then you have a whole parsha dealing with how to purify yourself after the war with Midian. You don't have it after Sichon, after Og. And then you have obsessive detail when you're talking about how to, how to split the spoils of the war. And it counts it and repeats it. And you know, when when, when there's a repetition in Parshas uh, Bracious regarding Ever Avram going to find a wife for uh, for for, for, for uh, Rivka, so it says Yafasichasan shall Abde Avos Yosemitrosim Shabanim. It's repeated twice in the 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 uh, the dialogue of of the servants of the of our fathers is more fun to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than the Torah of the children, because the Torah of the children, there are things that we learn from maybe, you know, a, a nuance. And here you have psukim that seem to be repetitive. So do we say, Yafeh, this dividing of spoils of war, Mechemes Midian, and Bodhan Torah Shabbatim, does that make sense to you? That, that's what we have, such repetition, such, such detail that repeats itself over and over again. Okay, the, the, and, and maybe one final point, that at the end of the dividing of the spoils of the war, so the officers come and they give a contribution to the, to, the, to the Mishkan, and they say, why are they doing it? Because we, we, we took a long look at all, all our soldiers, nobody, nobody disappeared, everybody came back whole. Well, that's an interesting point to mention in the aftermath. It's not mentioned in the war itself. All of a sudden, it comes up all the way at the end of the parsha. Oh, by the way, not only was this total victory, there was not one Jewish soldier that was hurt. Okay, so really what I wanted to point out is that, you know, the Melchemist Midian, I think, is a place to, to dig. Um, and, uh, you know, when we take a look at the war, the war is a total and absolute victory. Um, let's just take a quick look at the at the psukim. As I said, the war itself is is uh, two two sentences. We know that no Jewish souls were killed from the end. But if you take a look at the war itself, in Paraklamid uh, Aleph, Pasuk Zayin. They did battle with them, like God commanded, and they killed all the males. They killed all the kings of Midian, and then they killed also Bilam ben Baor. And then the rest is the spoils, that they took the women captive, and the rest is all the spoils. Okay, that's the war. The war itself, Tupsukim, a total absolute victory. No Jewish soldiers were killed. Okay, wonderful. In uh, Shoftim, in Perigvav, Zayin Chet, so there's a war with Midian. Gidon does battle with Midian. Um, take a look at source number one. So a few generations, all of a sudden, there's a nation called Midian, which is attacking in, which is attacking uh, Israel. Where did they come from? After this total, complete victory, all the males were killed, all the women were taken captive. Where, where did this, uh, where did Midian come from? 
So there are two possible answers. One answer is that when we talk about Midian, all of a sudden there was this vacuum in the land of Midian. So if there's a vacuum, it's not going to stay empty. People are going to move in. So the people that move into Eretz Midian become Midianim. In other words, it's not racially from Midianim, but rather it's people that reside in Eretz Midian. One of the unique things about Israel is that even though we were went into exile and we lost our homeland, we did not lose our identity. The identity of Am Yisrael continues as Israel, even though they're not in Eretz Yisrael, until the return to Eretz Yisrael. So that's unique. And that's why even historians look at look at the Jewish people as being something which is which is unique in the annals of history. We could assume that when the Midianim were totally wiped out, and there was this land, they didn't attack Midian to conquer Midian. They, they attacked Midian to take vengeance on Midian. They didn't they didn't conquer the land itself. So there was empty land. People moved in, and they became the Midianim. That certainly is one possibility. Uh, but there are a number of different uh, comparisons to the war with Midian in the time of Shoftim. Um, I'll mention one. Um, there's a mention of how many people go into battle and toning down the amount of people going to battle in order to make sure that people realize that it's God and it's not the people. Um, the Pasuk in uh, Shoftim Perek Zayin, Pasuk Bet, it's not in front of you. Um, there are too many people here. Cut them down. They didn't want Yisrael to all of a sudden say that it was their victory. Cut down the number of people. They go down from 22,000 to, to 300. And they attack Midian with 300 people. Okay, here you don't have 300 people, but nevertheless, they tell you, there's no other war that tells you how many people went. Here, Elof Lamateh, Elof Lamateh, they didn't go out with the entire people. Elof Lamateh, Elof Lamateh, they, they limit the size, the amount of people that are, going, that are going to war with Midian. And perhaps over here it's also to indicate that Amisel here is acting as a hand of God, but it's really God. We'll get back to that later. But if there is this comparison between Midian here and Midian there, um, it would seem that we're dealing with the same, the same nation. So that would mean when it says it doesn't mean they wiped out every male. It means that they killed the males as opposed to the females that they took captive. There might have been people that ran away. But the ones that they caught, they killed as opposed to the females that they took captive. So when it says it doesn't mean that there was nobody left. But nevertheless, that doesn't take away from the fact that the victory is, is, is complete and total and one-sided. Was this, was this battle um, a, uh, a difficult battle? Did uh, Midian, were they, were they a powerful nation? Do we view the war with Midian as being a brilliant military victory? Let's assume that it was God. But nevertheless, was it, was it, was it a difficult victory? So how could we know? What? No, that was with Gidon. That was Gidon. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll mention something interesting. The war with Midian is never again mentioned in Tanakh. This is the only time that it's mentioned. Other wars are mentioned over and over again. It's never mentioned within the context of uh, we won the battle against Midian and therefore don't worry. While the other wars are mentioned. There is a slight mention about uh, killing Bil Amben Ba'or again and, uh, and uh, killing the, the kings of Midian, but the winning the battle with Midian is never mentioned. Um, take a look, for instance, at the Dvarim, Periklamid Aleph, Psukim Gimel and Dalid. Moshe Abenu, at the end of his life, tells the people, you're going to Israel, you don't have to worry. Because God did all of these wonderful things for you. So if I start Pasa Gimel, Hashem lo kecha hu ovel lefanecha hu yashmirat hagoyim el mufanecha v'yushtam. God will go before you and he'll help you and he'll save you. 
He will do to them as he did to Sichon Vaog. He'll do like Sichon Vaog. And what about Midian? Didn't do anything? Not mentioned. Okay. Doesn't really prove anything, just one, one particular case. Um, do you recall um, the spies that went to Yericho? Right? They went to, uh, right? They went to Yericho. So let's take a look at uh, what they were told in Yericho. Yoshua Perk Bet, Pasuk Tet. Who did they meet in Yericho? This wonderful woman, Rahav. And she tells them that we're really afraid. We know that God gave you the land and we're afraid. Vatomer El Hanashim, she told the people, the two spies, Yadati Kinatan Hashem Lachem We know that God gave you the land. We're very worried. What did we hear? We heard about Mei Yamsuf. Right? We heard about Yamsuf. And we heard about Sichon and Og. Midian? Secret. Nobody heard about it. Okay? Um, all right, that's Rachav. Uh, the Givonim. The Givonim came and made believe that they were a nation from far away and they and they had uh, and they tricked Yoshua to make a covenant so that they would, would survive. So what did they tell Yoshua? Uh, so in Yoshua Perktes, Psukim Tes and Yud, Vayomuelov, they told him, May Erisiko Kama od Bawavadecha, the Shema Shemokecha. Ki Shamanu Shamo, we heard, what did we hear? Kala Shara Sabbatai, we heard what he did in Egypt. Okay, Sichon Og, Egypt, yes, Midian, no. All right, that's two. Let's take a look at number three. Yoshua, at the end of his life, when he tells the people, and he and basically wants the people to strengthen the people to continue what he started, so in Sefer Yoshua, Perchav Dalid, so Ve'yasof Yoshua, Shevtei Yisrael, Shechem, Ve'yikral, Zikne Yisrael, he comes and he, he gathers them all, and what does he tell them? Let's start with uh, Pasuk Hey. Right, he's basically telling them, he's giving them Jewish history, and he's telling them that they don't have to worry, and God will be with them, etc., as long as they do the right things. Ve'yashlach et Moshe Aaron. And he says in the name of God that God sent Moshe Aaron, that Gafet Mitzrayim, and we attacked Mitzrayim. And then, Vayitzaku El Hashem. Wait one second. Wait one second. Chavdalid. Yeah. And Mitzrayim, and then, Vaviyatchem La Eretz Emori, and then I brought you to the Eretz Emori, and you fought against them. And then Vayakam Balak Ben Sipor Melech Moab. Okay, we didn't forget about them. And then Balak came. And he called Bilam to, to curse you. I didn't listen to Bilam, and I didn't curse you. And he gave you a blessing. And then you crossed the, and then you crossed the Yarden, you came to Yicho. What's missing over here? Everything is mentioned, but Melchavet Midyan. I mean, you're getting the picture, right? Okay, so the truth is, I, I, I lied to you. Mechavet Midian is mentioned twice. Uh, it's mentioned in Yeshayahu. I, w- I wouldn't really lie to you. But it's mentioned in Yeshayahu, in Perek Tes, Pasad Gimel. Tet Gimel. Okay, they say when you make the uh, sword sheets, don't put on Sukkim in Tanakh because everybody has a Tanakh. Okay. Perek Tet, 9-3. Over there it mentions, Hachitota Kiyomidyan. You destroy them like the day of Midyan. Ah, wonderful, we found Midyan. If we take a look at Yeshayahu, the next Perek, Perek Yud, Chavav, It says, 
and I will have them give you attack you like the the attack on Midian. Okay, so we have Yeshayahu mentions Midian twice. What was Yeshayahu referring to? Let's take a look at the continue, continuation of the Pasuk. Bitsur Orev. Bitsur Orev. Now when it says Bitsur Orev, take a look at source number two in front of you. Actually, yeah, you have Yeshayahu, Bitsur Orev. Bitsur Orev is referring to the war with Midian that Gid'on fought. Tzor Orev was um, Orev and uh, Ze'ev were the two the two of the kings of Midian, and Orev was killed in Tzor Orev, Shoftim Perek Zion, Pasuk Chafhe. Okay, so again, Midian is mentioned in Yishayahu, but it's Gid'on's Midian in Shoftim, it's not Midian of Moshe in, in the Midbar. Okay, Chafhe. Uh, and they caught the two ministers of Midian. This is Gid'on. Et Orev ve'et Zev. What were they called? Orev and Zev. Wonderful names. Uh, if you're thinking of names for your children, wonderful. Vayargu et Orev betzor Orev. So the reference to Tzor Orev is clearly to Shoftim, not to our Midian that we're discussing. Okay. Um, there is... Another reference to Midian in Tanakh, in Tehillim, it's a pasuk that people know. Um, in source number three, Aselahem ki Midian, ki Sisra, ki Yavin benachal kishon, nishbedu beindor, hayudomen adama, shitemon nedivehu keorev uchezev uchezevech uchezamona kol nsichemo. So again, due to them like Midian, what Midian is, is, is David Amelk referring to? Not the Midian in the in the wilderness, but rather the Midian in of Gid'on. Again, the mention of uh, Orev and Ze'ev, and Zebach, Tzamuna, and Kol Nesichemo are the other kings of, or ministers of Midian. Shoftim 8.12, Chet Yudbet, Vayanusu, Zebach, Vetzamuna, Vayidavu Achareim, etc., etc. Dabra Melch again, referring to, due to them like Midian, Gid'on. What happened to, to our Midian? Okay, so I think the only conclusion is that they did not form really a, a, middle, a military challenge. Uh, so then what's really what's the point of the war? You know, once, once we realize that, you know, there's so much that's going on around the war, the war itself is Tupsukim. The war itself is not referenced as something that we see as being a great military victory that proves that God was protecting us. Okay, so what's going on here? Again, we have to start digging. Okay, if we want to understand what the purpose of the war, uh, first of all, I think you have to pay much greater attention to the dual introduction. I mentioned it in passing before, but let's take a look at it now. In uh, Pasha's Pinchas, the beginning of Pinchas, Perek Chavhei, Pasuk Tezvav Yudzayin, Tezayin Yudzayin, I'm sorry. Vaidaber Hashem el Moshe Lemar, God told to Moshe, saying, Tzorot HaMidyanim V'ikitim Otam, Go attack Midian. Ki Tzorim Heim Lachem, because they are trouble for you. A big problem that I'm not going to discuss is why Midian and not Moab. But nevertheless, Midian are the people that have to be attacked, not Moab. There are a number of different answers to that question that we're not going to discuss. Okay, wonderful. Let's go, go to battle. What happens afterwards? Pasek dies in the middle. Right, there's space in the Pasuk, and it continues after the space, something which only happens three times in the Torah. And then, count the people. We have to count the people. How many people do we have? Right, there was this command, go and attack Midian, and all of a sudden, the Pasuk dies in the middle. Count the people. Count the people, and then uh, these are the people that you 
give the that, that you divide um, uh, that, that you divide Eretz Yisrael among? Or if these are the people, what about Slavchad? But what about the daughters of Slavchad? Um, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is not going to be there, we have to have somebody else who's going to be the who's going to be the the leader of the people. Yifkod Hashem lo yadat Yisrael so we have to all of a sudden have a leadership. We have to we have to count the people. We have to know who we're giving the land to. And then, oh, and by the way, in Vayikra, when he talked about all the sacrifices, I forgot to mention that there's Tamidim and Musafim. There are sacrifices that you bring every day. There are sacrifices you bring on holidays. Okay, you know what? Since we stopped the pasuk in the middle, we might as well stick that in here as well. Okay. And then when we finally get to Matos. Perek Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Vaidaber Hashem Moshe Lemor, Nikom Nikmat Beiser Bnei Tamidyanim Vachar Tehsef Al Mecha. Okay, go ahead and take vengeance on the Midyanim, and afterwards, and afterwards, uh, you you you'll be able to die. Okay, so you know what's going on? Why all of a sudden the dual introduction? Why all of a sudden in the middle do we have all these seemingly unrelated? Uh, partials. Um, and another question that I want to point out is why is Mohammed Midian so critical that it's really the last thing that Moshe does before he dies? Chazal, they take this the other way and they tell to the credit of Moshe that even though he knew that once he ensures the victory over Midian, he will die, and nevertheless he didn't, he didn't wait. And he and he attacked, even though that 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 meant that that he would be making his death closer. The Chazal talk about how the people did not really want to go to battle because they knew that that meant the death of Moshe. Okay, all that is very yeah, beautiful, Midrashim. But why is this really the last thing that Moshe is told to do? He's so critical, and 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 before he does it, he can't die. This is critical. What's so critical? We don't even know what the purpose is. Why is it so critical? You know, what would have been so terrible had Yoshua, after Moshe's death, taken vengeance on Midian? What would have happened? It couldn't, it couldn't be done that way. Okay, so now whenever you have these two different introductions, you know, they're, they're, you, could have, you could say a number of different things. You can say that really God commanded the people to attack Midian in Pinchas, originally. However, for some reason, there were all kinds of details that we have to t- tell you beforehand, and uh, then when we when we finish all those details that for some reason have to be told to us, we don't really know why, uh, then we basically go back to what was originally s- said. If you take a look at uh, Parshas Ve'era, we have something similar. Ve'era is in Shmos, Perek Vav, Pasuk Yud. Vaidaber Hashem Moshelimor, Bo Daber al Parome Chonsaim, go or come and speak to Paro, the king of Egypt, Vishalach at Pnei Selmi Arso, and he'll send out the people. Vaidaber Moshelifne Hashem, and Moshe told Hashem, Hey Bnei Selo Shmolai, the Jewish people don't listen to me. Ve'echishmeni Paro, on Yerasa time, how possibly can Paro listen to me if even the Jewish people don't listen to me? And and and, and I and I speak with a lisp or whatever Arasa time means. Okay, and then all of a sudden, Ele, Rashi Beta. Well, time they start counting the people. Okay, parallel. Seems very, very parallel. They start counting the people. I'm not going to go into that or explain why it comes in between, but it's interesting. And then after starting to count the people, we know who Moshe and Aaron is. And then, lo and behold, in Pasuk Koftet, Vaidaber Hashem and Moshe Lemor Ani Hashem Daber El Paro Melech Mitzrayim It Kol Hashem Ani Dover Elecha Speak to the people what I what I tell you Vayor Moshe Lefnei Hashem. Very, very similar to the Pesukim what we had before. So Rashi in source number, um, source number four, Upshuto, Rashi says, Tzivam al dvar Yisrael v'al shlichuto od el paro od el paro v'diver atzivoy mahu mefurash v'parashash shniyah l'achar seda yachas. In other words, he says, the tzivoy, the command was given before, 
But since we had to interrupt with telling you who Moshe and Aaron was, we have to know the Yichus, right? You want to make a shidduch with them or whatever, you have to know the Yichus. So we have to tell you who Moshe and Aaron are, and then, since we separated by telling you who the Yichus of Moshe and Aaron are, therefore we go back and we, you know, and briefly, and we go back to the original dialogue so that we'll be able to pick up the narrative line. So Rashi says it was originally said at point number one. Since we had to separate it, we repeated it briefly in point number two. Uh, source number five says the same same thing. Hashem in Who more Since they separated the the uh, the dialogue, so you should know what the yichus is. Uh, so Rashi says. It's like somebody says, let's go back to where we were. Okay, let, let, let's go back to where we were. So, you know, we'll, we'll repeat a little bit so, so you should know where we were, and then we'll continue the storyline. Okay, so you can say over here also, the command was given originally. For some reason, the parsha of counting the people has to come in between, and Tamidim and Musafim, and therefore, when we return to the narrative line, we repeat the, the Tzivoy again. Uh, the uh, Psikta, source number six, makes a similar claim, but the opposite. He says, really, the tzivoy came at the end, after. But since we mentioned uh, the terrible things that uh, that happened to Israel because of Midian, it was important to note over here that you should know later on there's going to be a command to destroy Midian. So take a look at Psikta, Vayi Achar HaMagifa, Vayom Hashem El Moshe Ve'el Elazar, God said to Moshe and to Elazar, why is the Pasuk dying in the middle? The command to attack Midian was later. Why was it mentioned here? There was a plague, 24,000 Jews died. Um, because these people who caused my children to sin, 24,000 of Bnei Israel died, nothing will happen to them? You know, there's a paradigm that when somebody causes you to sin, they get punished as well. And therefore, there's a mention, but the truth is, when was, historically, when was the Tzivoy said? You could claim it was said at the beginning, and something separates, and therefore we have to return to the narrative line. The psikta says it happened at the end, but for some artificial reason, we noted also at the beginning. Okay, two two theories. Uh, if you take a look at source number seven, Ababa no. Chashash Rablezer ben Rablezer It's the same thing, and therefore it was said either at the beginning or at the end. Um, and he says, The Bible says, No. How could you have two different things on one, one thing? Obviously, there are two different, there are two different uh, commands. One swore, one nekom. Okay, the Abominal is going to explain in his direction. I'm going to use a different approach to explain uh, why there are these two different commands. That really, they were commanded twice to attack Midian. One, before they're counted, the people are counted, before the parsha of Kabbalah of Tamidim and Musafim, and then later, after after all that. Okay? Um, but the truth is, even if it happened historically only once, the fact that the Torah repeats it and changes the terminology from Tzor to Nakom indicates that Tzor is something which can be done before all those details in the middle, and what the details are needed in order to arrive at something else was in the cone, the Kmapei Okay, that's what I want to try to explain. And then we'll begin to understand what exactly is going on here. What, what is going on in the Midian? Why is it so critical? Why is it necessary that Moshe does this? So if you take a look at uh, source number eight, the Medrash says as follows: lama kitzorim 
Mikan amru chachamim habal al-chashkem lahago. Sound familiar? Somebody comes to attack you, you can make a preemptive strike and defend yourself and kill him. If somebody is, you know, is is going to endanger you, you can kill him before he has a chance to attack you. Okay, that's habal agacha hashkem lahago. That's the halacha. That is learned out not from here. There's a different parasha which is called Baba Machteret. If somebody comes and and and, and uh, tries to rob you at night, you're allowed to kill him because if somebody comes to rob you at night, he knows that if you confront him, so he'll 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 kill you, and therefore you can kill him before he kills you, unless it's clear that he doesn't that he's not that has no intention to kill you. But if he comes at night and uh, to steal things from you, even though his main intention is monetary, nevertheless you know that. If need be, he'll kill you as well. And therefore, you can kill him beforehand. Okay, so if that's true, why do we need the Pasha of Midian? And the answer, I think, is obvious. Because Habal Hashkem Largo can be said at the individual level, but it can also be said at the national level. Now, we know that there, there are a number of different types of a war which the Rabbim calls as Mohammed Mitzvah Mohammed that you have to do. It's not a Mohammed that's voluntary, but it's something that you must do. Conquering Eretz Israel, for instance, the war against Amalek, and then the Rabbim has a third one which he calls Ezrat Yisrael Miyatsar. When you're being attacked, you're under attack, then to go ahead and to defend yourself, that is a Mohammed Mitzvah. And there's a question in the Gemara, is that even if it's preemptive, uh, but in any case, the, the source for that, on the national plane, that if there's a nation that's endangering you, you can go to war against them, as right Yisam Yatsar, that's That could be accomplished before Parshas Pinchas, before counting the people, before knowing who, who the leaders are going to be, before before Tamidim and Musafim. But when we get to Nikom, first of all, something else happens. Uh, it's called, first of all, it's called Nakama. Now, Nakama, does that sound like something that we like doing? Like, isn't like there like a pasuk that's called Lotikom Velotitor? Like, don't we, don't, don't like we don't don't take vengeance on people? We don't take revenge. Like, isn't that bad? And here it says, take vengeance. So the truth is that uh, human beings should not take vengeance against their, their fellows. Uh, but we say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is no Cain. And the legitimacy of taking vengeance is if you're working as an arm of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you're representing God on this world. Now take a look at uh, source number 10. We'll skip nine for a second. We'll get back to it. Or before that, uh, the psukim in Matos. Uh, again, 31. I'm starting with 31. Take the vengeance of, of Israel from the Midianim. Moshe tells the people, so who is it? Is the vengeance of vengeance of Israel or is the vengeance of God, or is it both? So the in the Medrash it says as follows: Hakadosh Baruch Hu Amar Nikmat Israel. God said it's the vengeance of Israel, but Moshe Amar Nikmat Hashem. Moshe said it's the vengeance of God. Amar Hakadosh Baruch Hu Lahem Eno Ella Dikoshalachem. It's yours. They caused me to hurt you, and therefore I'm concerned with you. God. The reason they hate us is because we're the people of God. And therefore, if they did all these terrible things to us, it's because of you. And what we're doing is taking the vengeance of God. Okay, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a very, very beautiful medrash. Uh, we'll get back to that later. So basically, what you have is at the beginning, you attack Midian because they're dangerous. And any nation, not only Jewish people, any nation, any human being, has a right of life, a right to defend himself. The idea of Habal is not limited to somebody who's Jewish. 
People have a right. God gave them life, and if somebody tries to kill them, they have a right to defend themselves. And if a nation's being attacked, the nation has a right to defend itself. But when we get to Parshas Matot, all of a sudden we're not talking about defense. We're not talking about self-defense. We're not talking about that they're, they're dangerous. We're talking about vengeance. Vengeance is not because of some potential future attack. Vengeance is because of the past. So what's going on in Parshas Pinchas and what's going on in Parshas Matos are radically different. So it's not the Torah just going back to, to, to continue the narrative line, the narrative flow. But we're talking about something which is radically different. Take a look at something which I found fascinating, which I never realized before, but when preparing this year, all of a sudden it, I, I noticed it. The parallel between the war with Midian and the battle against Shechem in Parshas Precious. I mean, I, I made the... Take a look at the chart. Midian and then in Embrace Islam Adalad, again, Vayagu Kozachar. By the way, if you'll do a search, Bailan, and you look up Vayagu Kozachar, you'll find that it, that, that it appears only twice in the Torah, in, in Tanakh, only twice. By Shechem and by Midian. And then in Bamidbar, Vetmachem Midian, Hargu Achalehem, Et Evi Rekem Tzor, Hargu Becharev, and then also the leaders over there, Vetchamor, Vetchem Beno, Hargu Lefikharev. Okay, so the fichar of charev. Okay, there's something to talk about there, but but that uh, we're not going to discuss that. And then vayishpu bnei yisrael neshem midyan vetapam vetkol beemtam vetkol meknehem vetchilam bazazu. And then they took all the all the spoils, right? After killing all the males, they took all all the women and all the children and all the other spoils, right? So also in Bracious, uh you don't have it in front of you, but I. I noted, they took spoils from the city that defiled their sister. That's an important uh, pasuk. They took everything, all the spoils. I want you to know that, again, I, you know, I, I'm convinced. Turn off all your cell phones. You know, I never noticed before that when they attacked Shechem, they took the women captive. I never noticed it. I never, I never, you know, I don't know why. I had a, a block against it. I don't know. The truth is, I think that it was never there, and God just put it in before this year. I don't know why. It was never there before. I never noticed it. But when all of a sudden I saw that, you know, I mean, the, the psukim, is, they're, they're just so obvious that, that one is building off the other. You know, and, and the exact same things are going on in the parallel psukim. And in other words, when you take a look at what went on in Shechem, what went on in Shechem, it was not only saving Dina from, from Shechem, but it was also Asher Tim'u Achotam. It was also it was, it was also taking vengeance on the city. The entire city was involved with defiling their daughter. They were all there. They all saw it. They all saw the, 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 the rape of Dina. Nobody did anything. And what's going on is not only trying to save Dina. What's going on is taking Nakama. And all of a sudden we have you know, a, a model for Nakama, and it goes on by Shechem, and it also occurs here. So what's clear is that you know, the, the, this, this idea of not only that there's somebody that has to be saved, but there's also, they're, they're going way beyond that. They're not just okay. They're they're all they're all sick. They're ailing. We'll we'll take Dina out and we'll run away. No, they go much before, much beyond that. By Agukol Zachar, Leficharev, taking all the, all the all the spoils. The only thing they don't do, and I don't know why, is that in Midian they also set all the cities on fire. For some reason they didn't set Shechem on fire. I don't know why. Okay. So now let's try to, to put these things together and uh, see where this takes us. If we take a look at the flow of Sefer Bamidbar, 
Sefer Midbar begins. Sefer Midbar is called Chumash HaPikudim because counting the people is not only to know the number, counting the people is also to set up the, the nation, to set up the camp, to, to create the, 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 the national unit of B'nai Israel. And that's why there's so much detail in counting each shevet, in counting each each flag, which is combined with three shvatim, in, in having the machne levia and the machne shechina. The entire setting up of the machne is is a pagudim. And uh, what happened was that this wonderful machne that was created at the beginning of Bamidbar, and the first basically ten chapters seems to be some kind of an ideal, and they're on their way, and they're marching, and they're almost in Eretz Israel. All of a sudden. You know, things begin to slow down and come to a halt. You know, the first thing is uh, there's Tav Eira, there's a, there's a fire, something happens, and then, then there's Kivrot Tava, they start complaining, we have nothing to eat. They're almost in Eretz Israel, you have to understand. And they start complaining that, you know, we're, we're sick of the mud, we want, we, want, we, want, we want to eat meat. I guess it was during the nine days or something. But, they, you know, they, they started complaining, you know, and, 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 and because of that, they had to stop for a whole month. Aside from being killed in Kivot Tava, they had to stop for an entire month. Oh, and then what happens after that when they start complaining and because Moshe, who was the leader, all of a sudden feels that he's incapable of leading the people, so he says, I can't do this myself. Kill me, I can't do this myself. So they have to gather 70 people to lead along with him. And all of a sudden, they, they get Ruach HaKodesh. Now, according to Chazal, you know, there, there's a connection between that and what follows where all of a sudden Aaron and Moshe attack, attack, uh, I'm sorry, Aaron and Miriam attack Moshe for what he did to his wife. Because they say, you're not the only Navi around, there are plenty of Navim. And, uh, and then they have to wait another seven days. Okay, you count all the days, you're going to get, you know, you, you'll, they started marching on the 20th day of, of Iyar, and all of a sudden you're going to get to uh, basically more or less Rosh Chodesh, uh, Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, and then 40 days later they decide, no, we have to send Meraglim, and they're going to send Meraglim, and Meraglim go for 40 days, and they come back, okay, Tisha B'Av. They come back to Tisha B'Av, and and then everything falls apart. Okay, so things fell apart, and uh, that generation, all the people that were counted, Right, the counting is very, very important. It's called Chumash Apkudim. All the people that were counted, 20 years and up, they will all die except for Kalev and Yoshua. And then we have to wait for them to die out. Okay? They die out. When do they die out? So if you take a look at Bamidbar uh, Perakhaf, Okay, they come to Kadesh, Midbatsin. It says, Kol Ha'ida, Rashi, source number 11. Kol Ha'ida, Eida Shlema, Shekfar Meitu Meitei Midbar Ve'elu Parshul Ha'chayim. Okay, that's it. The, the, the first generation died out. Okay, so, fine, we're ready. Let's go. Uh, of course, afterwards, you have the problem of Meriva, and you have the... the uh, Moshe and Aaron can't come into Eretz Israel, but more or less, the, there's nothing stopping, preventing the people from continuing. Correct? You no, know, they were they were they were told that they you know that they would wait 40 years in the Midbar. 40 years are over. All the people died out. They can move on. Wonderful. Uh, again, in Pasuk uh, Bet, it says, "Vayisumi Kadesh." The next stop after Kadesh is Har Hahar, where Aaron dies. Here's the Benisal. Here's it adds. Kol Haida. Again, Rashi points out. Kol Haida. Kulam Shleimim Vomdim Likanes Laaretz Shlohayabem Echad Meotam Shnigzag Zera Alehem Shekvar Kalu Meitemidbar. Now, why Rashi had to kill Meitemidbar twice, I'm not sure. Okay, but anyway, again, Kol Haida says that obviously it's some kind of a process over here, but but nevertheless, Kol Meitemidbar. Again, and that's what happens to Harahar, and Aaron dies, and uh, the rest of Rashi is all even more difficult. Uh, what, what I want to show you, uh, if you take a look in Dvarim, Perg Beis, uh, Pasuk Ches, 
it says, Vanavor We left Seir Esav. They're going back and going around uh, Seir to get to Esav. They're not allowed to touch uh, what was given to Esav. They're not allowed to touch what was given to Ammon and Moab. Um, so we left Elad and Tsongaver, which is already you know very very close to Eretz Yisrael. They have to go around. They have to go and, and circumvent Moab. And then Moshe says, The next step after Eretz Yisrael, go cross over the river Zared. And we cross the river Zared. Vayamim asher halachnu mikadesh barneya. Kadesh barneya was where the Meragim went. Ad asher avarun nachal zared shloshim ushmona shana. It was thirty-eight years. Ad tom kol ador anshea milchama mikerav machnek hashenish ba'ashamayim. In other words, the Torah tells us in the Bible exactly where they died when they crossed nachal zared. So if you take a look at Masse, you don't have to turn to it, but b'mid ba'alam negimol amin vav. I'll quote. It says vayisu me'etzon gaver. And where was the next? Where did they? Where did they encamp after Etzion Gaver? Right. So when Rashi says Kol Midbar Kadesh, because they all died, that's exactly it. It's a wonderful drush of Rashi. It's a pasuk. Right. So Rashi's right. They they, they already died when they went Etzion Gaver, crossed Nachal Zared, they got to Kadesh. New generation. Thirty-eight years later, new generation. They had all all all, all died. Okay, from uh, from Kadesh, they go to Horahar, and uh, what happens in Horahar after Aaron dies? What happens in Horahar after Aaron dies? Vaishma, so they cry for Aaron for you know for, uh, for for thirty days. So we're talking about around Rosh Chodesh They build the shofar, and you know if they build the shofar, Vaishma Knani Melech Haradi heard the shofar apparently. No. Okay, Vayishma Knani Melech Harad Yosef Negev Ki Ba Yisrael Derech Atarim. He heard that they came through Derech Atarim. Chazal say Derech Atarim Etaaretz is the same path of the Meraglim. They're they're going on the same path. Vayda Yisrael Neder Lashem Vayomar Im Natom Titen Etaam Azeb Yadi Vacharam Tiatarehem. He said they they all of a sudden take a neder an oath or neder and they say that if God gives me this people then I will make these cities cheren, right? You can't touch them, it belongs to God. Human beings can't touch it. A way of indicating that it's God, not man. Vayitain, okay, Vayishma Hashem b'kol Yisrael, God listened to Israel, Vayitain ataknani vayicharem atem v'etarehem vayikrash shem amakom shkoma and they managed to conquer the knani and they called the place Choma. Now Rashi brings a medrash that says, it says Ha'am Hazeh, because the truth is, they looked like Knanim, but they were really Amalekim. They were, they were, they were disguised as, as Knanim. Uh, and they thought that if you pray to, to give you the Knanim, since we're really Amalekim, we'll trick God. Right? That's what they thought. And God's really smarter than that, but that's what they thought. Anyway, Amisal said Ha'am Hazeh instead of saying Knanim, and therefore there was no problem at all. What, what are Chazal doing? Derech Atarim is Derech Meraglim, and they're fighting against Kna'anim and Amalekim, and then they call the, the location where they won the battle, they call it Choma. What is going on here? So if you want to know what's going on here, you have to realize that it's a clear-cut reference to what happened uh, in the wake of Chetam Meraglim. There's a decree that they will all die, so the people accept that decree. Or they say no. They say, you know what? You're right. We didn't have faith. We're going to go up anyway. They woke up in the morning. They went up to the top of the mountain. I'm in Perik Yudalid, Posukramatet Mem, if anybody wants to go there. We're going to go up to where God promised because we know that we made it, we, we sinned. Don't do it. When I told you to go, you didn't want to. And that was in violation of God. Now God says, don't go, and you're going. That's also in violation of God. God doesn't want you to go if he says not to go. Who's there? Amalek and Knaan. And you'll die. You'll be killed. And they went anyway. And Aaron didn't go up, and Moshe didn't go with them. 
and they were destroyed. And the Pasuk says, Vayakuve Aktum Arachoma. Arachoma. Sounds familiar, right? In other words, what's going on by Melech Arad is close circle to Chetam Ragli. Chetam Ragli is now over. They don't know. They know the people that were destined to die died. But is the decree over or not? This is the first time they faced battle since that terrible battle at Chorma, when they were destroyed by the Amaliki Knani. Is God with us again, or is he still not with us? Then God wasn't with us. Melech attacked us, and he took a captive. He succeeded. Is God with us or not? Let's make a neder. That if God gives us his people, then we're going to give it all to God. So that's what's going on in, in Melech So we had the beginning of Bamidbar, things fell apart, Chetam Raglim, and all of a sudden we have a new generation, and at this point, closed circle, Choma. And we know that now we're ready to go. Now, now, what happens after, what does Moshe say after Chetam Raglim? Since you went against God, you have to go in the opposite direction, not towards Eretz Yisrael, but where do you have to go? It says, Su Derech Yamsuf, you go to the wilderness, Derech Yamsuf. Go back, back to Mitzrayim, Derech Yamsuf. The same path that you came from Yamsuf, go back. What happens after they win the battle at Chama, after closed circle, we're finished, new generation, ready to conquer Eretz Yisrael? What happens at that point? Vayisu meharahar Derech Yamsuf. They're told to go back to Derech Yamsuf. Why? Because they can't go through Eretz Edom. Eretz Edom was given to Esau. So they're forced after this wonderful victory, and they know, okay, we're a new generation, we're ready to conquer. Go back to Rechiam Suf. Wait one second, that was after Chetam Ragun. Why is it doing over here? So it says, Vatiksa Nefesh The people became impatient, and therefore they started complaining about the, about the, uh, about the man, they're tired of the man, and they, they, they have no running water, and uh, you know they, they, they went out of 10 minutes, no. And they ran out of water, and, uh, and because of that, uh, they were attacked. But basically, you see that, that, that what was it based on? The fact that the decree was over, and they're ready to go into Israel. Okay, let's hurry a little bit. We're at the last year already, so we're okay. Okay, so where do they go from there? They attack Sichon and Og, and they succeed in conquering Sichon and Og. So okay, that's what we saw. We saw the people are now ready. They can't, they can't take Amon, Moab, and Seir. No, but Sichon Og, yes. And they attack it, and they conquer, and they conquer Eber Hayardain. And okay, it's a new generation. They're attacking, and they're winning. And then after Sichon and Og, they arrive at Arvot Moab. What's Arvot Moab? That's the last that's the last encampment. From there they go across the yard in Tiricho. What happens at Avot Moab? They're ready to go over the Yardin. Of course Moshe has to pass away. They're ready to go over the Yardin. What happens? No love. This terrible sin. All of a sudden, you, you have to realize that the, the the, the, it's a, not just a sin, it happens at Avot Moab when they're ready to cross the Yardin. They're ready to cross the Jordan River, and all of a sudden, No Moab, Avot Zara, Znut, Avot Moab, 24,000 people get killed. So I think it's important to understand that the Chet of Avot Moab is not like the Chatam of the first generation which were connected to the fact that they still had a slave mentality. And if they didn't, were given, weren't given exactly what they needed by their providers, they started crying and complaining. They didn't have the, the, the they didn't take upon themselves responsibility. They didn't have the independence. They, 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 they were still had a slave mentality. What happens, Avot Moab is a different sin. Avot Moab is a sin of Eretz Israel. That's what they're going to face when they come to Eretz Canaan. And there are other nations in Eretz Canaan. Take a look, for instance, in Devarim, Perak Zayin, Aleph and Vav, Aleph to Vav, Ki Vecha Shemokecha El Haaretz. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the people and preparing them to go into Eretz Israel. He says, when God takes you to the land, Asher Tabasham Lushtab, which you come in to inherit, and you'll be you'll be victorious. 
Hachamim tachrim otam. Destroy them. Don't make a brit with them. Don't make a covenant with them. Lo tetchatim bam. Betchalo titen necha. Don't give them your daughters. Ubitolo titen no. Why? Ki asir pencha meacharai. They'll convince your children to, to, to leave me. Vavdue uhi machirim. And they'll start worshipping foreign idols. Vichara af Hashem bachem. Vishmidcha maher. Sound familiar? etc. So all of a sudden, B'not Mu'av is what they're going to face when they go into Herod's Canaan, and that's that's a no. So what you have is that uh, the people already, the new generation, the old generation died out. You have the new generation. And they're called Ha'ida. They're a complete people. You know, the, the nation is a, is a nation that's been crystallized as a nation, and they're ready to fight Sichon and Ogun. They win, and it's and it's Am Yisrael. They're called Ha'ida. But you have an interesting pasuk um, that when Moshe Rabbeinu says, you, if I'm going to die, you need another leader. They're called Ha'ida, but they're not yet Adat Hashem. Because there are 24,000 people there that were Mizanah with Bidot Moav. Now the the pasuk says in Devarim, Perak Dalid, second Gimel and Dalid, Enechem Haroot, your eyes saw, Et Asher Asa Hashem Beval Paor, what God did to Beval Paor, Ki Kol Haish, Asher Halach Achrei Beval Paor, Hishmido Hashem Lo Kachem Mekabecha. Anybody that sinned with Beval Paor, they were all destroyed. Vatem Hadvechim Baashem Lo Kachem Chaim Kochem Ayom. You who are committed and close to God, you are all alive. In other words, what you have before Baal Pa'or, Kol Ha'ida. The new generation, the old people died out, a new generation. But what you have to do is make them not only to Kol Ha'ida, but make them to Adat Hashem. What you have to do is make them not into uh, Kol Ha'ida, but they should be Dveikim Bashem Lokichem. When does that happen? That happens after the plague with Baal Pa'or, after the 24,000 are killed, and at that point, they are recounted and are once again crystallized as Adat Hashem, as the Vekim Hashem Lokechem. So my basic thesis is that the war with Midian is to galvanize them as a nation. And that's why the parashios that come now are counting the people again. And the parashios of Tamidim Musafim, which are what? It's Am Yisrael that bring sacrifices as a nation. It's not it's not a carbon which is called a common yachid that an individual could bring. It's national, it's the national avoda of Am Yisrael, how they how they're over Hashem. Those are the Psukim that are separate. Tsuratamidyanim, self-defense, Kalaida can do as well. But that you represent God on this earth, for that you have to be Adat Hashem. That Nikmat Israel equals Nikmat Hashem. That can't be accomplished. Nikam is bad, unless it's Nikmat Hashem. When you're acting as arm of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then it becomes legitimate. We're not ready for that yet. There are 24,000 that were killed in Baal Pa'or. We have to wait for that Vekim Hashem Elokeichem, and now we could once again crystallize the people. Now let's take a look again briefly at Milchemet Midyan. First of all, why is it important? Moshe Rabbeinu, that's what he has to create before he dies. He's forming the people. He's taking that potential of Adat Hashem and the war is a way of actualizing it. To take it from a potential to something actualized. They are now doing battle as a new people that are representing God in this world. And that's why all the details, Elif Lamatea, Elif Lamatea, the entire arm has to be represented. Not only the entire arm have to, have to be represented, but those that go to war and those that 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 remain that that remain you know, passive in the machine, they're all involved. We can't have any separation. They'll get half, and they'll get half. It's all connected. You know, there's a, in, in, by David Amelech, there was a battle when, and, and the people that went to war didn't want to give the spoils to the people that, that stayed behind. And they're called Anshe Bliyal. And David Amelech says, no, don't do that. We're going to split it 
because, because it's a national effort. It's not individuals. It's not soldiers that did the battle. It's Amisol that did the battle because it's only Amisol that can represent God in this world. And therefore, it's important not only to, to focus on the war. The war is not important. There's no, there's, no, there's no military challenge in beating Midian. A bunch of nomads. That wasn't the challenge. But the war has a, has a, has a subtext <coughs> that the people are acting now in, in basically looking in the future towards what's going to be in Eretz Yisrael when they have to act as Zadat Hashem. And that's the war with Midian. And therefore, all the details around are connected to that idea. The exact amount from each each one of the tribes. The fact that the spoils are split equally among the people. And uh, the fact that each one gives part of the spoils to the Kohanim and to the Levian. Because they're Adat Hashem. So basically, if you take a look at Mechavit Midyan, and you want to look at what's so what's what, what's going on here, what's really going on here, again, part of it is to raise questions and to say that you have to dig. When I dug, this is what I found. You could find something else. But that it's critical to understand that Mechavit Midyan is something is going on here. What I did was I tried to present for you my theory, my thesis, to explain what was going on, why Srar then crystallizing the people as Adat Hashem and afterwards Nikom Nikmat Bnei Israel, which is Nikmat Midyan. So going back to my you know, introductory remarks about the historical significance of Midyan Israel and what we're dealing with today and how a fresh look at Tanakh affords us the, the opportunity of facing challenges that we face today in terms of trying to create an Am in Midian Israel, which is not only Kol Ha'idah, but which is also Dekim Hashem Al Kechem. You know, those opportunities to, to take advantage of the historical opportunity that HaKadosh Baruch gave us, the meta-historical opportunity, one of the ways of trying to be inspired what to do is to take a fresh look at Tanakh. Thank you.